Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Tech People. Today, I'm really excited to learn more about the latest trends in artificial intelligence and machine learning. I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Murder, who's a management consultant and solution architect, but he's also a fellow podcaster. So welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you very much, Ken. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, no, well, listen, a lot of people are talking about this topic at the moment. I'm really looking forward to learning a bit more about it. But before we go there, it would be great to learn a bit more about who you are. So could you maybe do an introduction about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my business background is is that I have about 27 years experience in enterprise IT working for large multinational organizations. Thank you for telling for saying I'm from New Zealand because uh, <laughs> I am calling from New Zealand. But obviously, those that are listening will go, that doesn't sound like a New Zealand accent. So I'm originally from uh, the United States, uh, and I did a lot of work for multinationals in the United States, building large infrastructure development projects, mostly on the network side. About six or seven years ago, I started getting into more enterprise architecture and mapping business to technology outcomes. And I rapidly came to the point that AI and ML were going to be a fundamentally changing technology for businesses going forward. So for about the last three years, I've been doing innovation technology consulting focused on how AI and ML could help move the bottom line and top line for businesses across the spectrum. Mm, Very interesting. So talk to us about, I mean, how it's evolved in the the last year, maybe even longer, depending on what you think would be beneficial for the audience, but how it's evolved and what are the trends in this space? Yeah, so we, I mean, AI and ML has been coming for quite a while now. If anybody tells you that it's it's only just now happened within the last year or two, that's not the case. The machine learning models have been under development and have been successfully used to do things going back as far as 10, 15, even 20 years. What we're seeing today is, is that with the use of cloud, so hyper cloud, or even here in New Zealand, we have We have local clouds with the use of cloud technologies and cloud providers offering AI and ML services. And with the adoption of SaaS platforms that have AI and ML built into them, we're now seeing pretty good adoption across businesses. So it's becoming much, much simpler to get benefits from a business perspective from AI and ML simply by adapting a SaaS product. And It's becoming very easy to develop your own machine learning model. There are quite a few data scientists in the marketplace and the tools and platforms to support and develop AI and ML are very good. We also have solved problems. There are many, many, many machine learning models. In fact, the last time I went out and did a quick survey, we're looking at over 20,000 machine learning models, pre-trained and untrained that are sitting out on the internet that you can download. And a lot of them are 
they're solved problems. We can identify things within pictures. We can, we can successfully do natural language processing from audio to text. We can do analysis of text fairly easily. These are all solved problems. So finding, you know, if you're a business and you need to use some of these functions, then AI and ML adoption is not something that is, I need to go do bleeding edge research and development to be able to get it. Interesting. And is there some like sources that you'd recommend for businesses to look at in terms of, you know? Yeah. So I would say, I mean, you can follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter because I post about it probably every two to three days. Forbes has some really good articles on AI from a business perspective. It will tell the Forbes articles and I follow and repost the Forbes articles frequently. They give a business lens. Here's the things you need to do. Here's how you need to adopt it. Here's how you need to go forward. Your podcast is uh, brilliant to listen to. So, I mean, hearing from (laughs) you and the people you talk to will help as well. So it really comes down to the first question I like to ask a CEO or CIO when I talk with them is, do you have a strategy? Do you even know where you're going? Have you even had a discussion with your board and with your current if it's a CEO, I say, have you talked to your current CIO? If it's the CIO, I say, have you talked to your CTO or your general manager of IT about what you plan on doing with AI and ML? And so those often kick off conversations that really help you define where it is that you want to go and what you want to do. Okay. And it's always, is it's my understanding that one of the biggest drivers so of this is automation. Well, it is. So here's the problem that we're running into. It's a scaling problem. Right. And what I mean by that is, is that I'm going to take a s- simple business thing that pretty much everybody that listens to your podcast will happen. If you've ever called to, into a contact center and been on hold waiting for an operator to answer your call, you are being impacted by the scaling issue. And what I mean by that is, is that they the contact center cannot hire enough people and bring them on board to be able to answer all the calls immediately when they come in. If you can answer frequently asked questions and advice using a AI-driven automation that has a machine learning model behind it, and you can take 15% of those calls so that they don't go to operators, you free up that 15% to be handled people that have more complex questions and that need a person to talk to to be able to do it. We're seeing this scaling issue across business. So whether it's handling inbound orders because you're a manufacturing or shipping company, or you're doing large-scale planning for picking farms, all of these things have scaling issues, and the automation and the AIML that drives that automation is how we're going to solve those scaling issues. And if we don't use AIML, what's going to happen is is the services are just going to get worse. If you can't scale the people, if we can't hire enough people to do the work, then the service is just going to get worse and worse and worse. The automation and the AIML allows us to take one person and scale it up to be able to handle 10, 15, 100 people in a way that we just can't do it with raw people. You know, I agree with you. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But is there any, how would the sphere then of, you know, this AI machine learning is going to, you know, take over our jobs and take away the need for all these people? It's it's a good question. And of course, I get that a lot. In fact, I had a discussion with an HR director who she was very, very worried about this. And here's my take on this. 
Yes, there are businesses that are going to care only about the bottom line and will ultimately remove jobs if they think an AI, ML, or automation function can do those jobs. I don't think long-term those uh, businesses are going to be successful or viable. The reality is, is that what AI, ML can bring to all businesses is to take the boring, repetitive, low-value, low-touch, mass number of interaction functions away from the people that are servicing them. I mean, the reality is, is that if I, if I, I have a, a very good business friend, he owns a company, he doesn't want to call in to make a dinner reservation for a restaurant. He just mm-hmm. didn't want to talk to him. He has an unusual last name. He doesn't want to have to explain to them how to spell his last name. He doesn't want to talk to them if, if he doesn't understand their accent, if they don't understand his accent. He just wants to book the meat, the dinner reservation. So for him, he gets better service because he doesn't, Booking a dinner reservation is not a high-touch thing. It's not something that people have to interact with him a whole lot to do. So using automation and going online, he won't go to a restaurant that he can't book it online. Interesting. I mean, I do. I agree with that point. But is it also part of the whole social interaction as a society that, you know, we are getting less social and we prefer to do things on mobile devices and computers rather than pick up the phone and talk to somebody? Oh, yeah, you You're absolutely right. I mean, it's kind of a Pandora's box, right? We've kind of already opened the technology and the ramifications to it. I don't know how we pull back from it a little bit. Social media has been a pet peeve of mine for quite a while now and the impacts to it and the social, the uh, echo chambers that so many people on social media go into. I actually think AIML can help us with that on the personal level. So if you had a personal machine learning model, an AI assistant that just worked for you. And you said, and you thoughtfully said, I'm worried that I might be sticking myself in an echo chamber. And you said to your AI assistant, can you make sure that my feed includes things that are, you know, alternative to my beliefs? The AI assistant could change your social media feed in such a way that you would see alternative viewpoints. But again, it, it, personal Siri, basically, or Google. Yeah, or. yeah. But it would take you. You have to thoughtfully take that decision and take that step. And I don't know that we can do that. The echo chambers make us feel good, right? Because if we have a belief about something, and all of the social media feeds that we get agree with us and tell us that the belief that we have is correct, we don't look for opposing. We don't want to see opposing. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. And as long as businesses can make money, so that that's a little bit of the dark side of AI ML, right? So if the businesses see an advantage to using AI ML to keep you inside that echo chamber because they make more money from you during in that echo chamber, then there is a possibility that they're going to use it. And by the way, that's Facebook's model. If they can keep you engaged on the platform, then they make more money. And they're using AI ML to do that. So there is a downside to it. The other downside is, is that it is not a panacea. AIML doesn't solve everything. And in fact, I've had very interesting conversations with businesses where a machine learning model that predicts something is only predicting the percentage likelihood, assuming that no other data changes. I've done a couple of other podcasts and this use case actually has come up a couple of times. I did some work for the New Zealand police and I had one of the one of the guys that was in charge of a district here in New Zealand. And he asked me this question. He said, hey, we have all this data on crime. 
Could you tell me at this one street corner, the likelihood that a crime would happen? And I said, well, if you have the right amount of data, then yes, I can give you a percentage chance that day on day, there'll be a crime at that street corner. And he goes, okay, okay. What happens if I put a police officer there? I said, all my predictions are worthless. If the data that I use to train the model doesn't have a police officer at that corner, then I can't predict to you if there's going to be a crime at that corner, if there's a police officer there, because none of my training data includes that variable. Right. Okay. And he went, oh, I'd never thought of that. No one's ever explained that to me. So if I change the variables so that they're different than the data that the model was developed on, then the predictions are, they don't do anything. So financial predictions that don't include, as an example, China as an input can't then predict what's going to happen if you open up a new market in China. So, I mean, you're constantly having to change these models in all the time. Yes. And, and that's, so that's the inherent thing of machine learning, right? So the model models, you can train a model and then deploy it and get a consistent answer from it over and over and over again. You can feed data to it. You can feed a video to it and it will identify a fish in a video over and over and over. It won't get any better if you enable learning for that model. So with models, you can tell it. There are a whole bunch of terms around it, but basically what it does, it will begin adjusting itself based on the data that's fed into it. If you enable learning on it, the models begin to drift. And here, the drift of a model is where the complication around productionizing models comes from. And you said that trends and difficulties and where we think we're going, this is a key point. Traditional enterprise IT, core IT people don't know how to operationalize machine learning models. Most of the successful AI and ML stuff that has been implemented has been implemented because the function or the ML model is embedded in a piece of SaaS software. So for example, if you've purchased Salesforce, and I'm sure some of the people that listen to your podcast have Salesforce subscriptions, you have AI ML. Salesforce has AI ML underneath the covers that helps you do stuff. And so you could theoretically go back to your board and say, see, we've implemented AI ML. If, however, you have a new business use case or a new function that's not, that's core business that you need to use a machine learning model for, you can go see a data scientist and within, depending on how much data you have and, and the type of model that you're building, somewhere around three to six months, you could have a working model that is very good at doing what it is that you're looking at. I mean, very successful, probably 70 to 80% likelihood, assuming that you have the data and it's good data. You can build a model in that time frame. And when you take that model to your enterprise IT team and say, Hey, we need to implement this in production and we need you to watch it and make sure it doesn't drift. And we need you to care and feed for it. And if it starts drifting, we need you to redeploy the model that we originally trained. And your enterprise IT team is going to look at you and go, we don't know how to do that. And the whole thing falls apart. There have been several companies that I've worked with that have done really good developing a model. And three years later, they still haven't productionized it. And so the area that I'm talking about is ML ops. So how do you operationalize machine learning? And the way is, is that you use, so in software development, we've been doing DevOps for 10, 15 years, right? If you take the practices that you use in DevOps and apply those to model development and AI function development, you can get things into production much quicker, but you have to apply the same practices, the same principles that you apply to software development, you have to apply to machine learning. And that takes a little bit of work. 
there are several machine learning ML ops platforms that are now starting to come into prominence. Specifically, Microsoft has one, Google has one, AWS has a collection of tools that can be put together for ML ops. There are a couple of SaaS products like SaaS via four has a model ops for managing models once they're in production. But that's going to be the differentiator. The companies that need to create core business machine learning models and AI functions or automation that is driven by machine learning models. The ones that do it with ML ops and model ops are the ones that are going to be successful. Hmm. Wow. How about, um, some, is there some other big challenges that you maybe you could give some examples of companies that are facing today and how to overcoming these challenges? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the biggest is, well, they can always call me. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. But, you solve uh, all challenges. <laughs> so in all seriousness, I think, look, every business, it's interesting, right? So every business I walk into says, hey, I'm a snowflake and I have needs that no other businesses and no other industry, I especially love on in the public sector, right? The government ministries in New Zealand. And I, by the way, the US agencies are exactly the same. They say, yeah, we're unique. No one else is like us. And then you go in and talk to them. And, and what they describe is exactly the same as everybody else. We have thousands of documents all over the place, and we have no idea where anything is. We have no idea how to classify any of the documents we have. We don't know which information we have. We don't know what data we have. It's the same problems over and over and over again. Some of these problems have simple solutions, right? Most of the problems have complex solutions. And the complex solutions is why they haven't fixed it. Generally, generally yeah, well, as other businesses also. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I, I literally, I had a, a business come to me and say, hey, Sean, is there any way that you can look through a million documents that we have stored across Microsoft Azure, AWS, plus local Microsoft share drives, plus SharePoint, plus plus, 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 and tell us where there's credit card data in those documents? That's actually a solved problem. I mean, we have trained models that I can feed documents to, and it will tell you out of this 10 million documents, here are the 500 documents you need to go look at that look like they have credit card data in them. Solved problem. Could I have it done in a weekend? The hardest part would be implementing it into your enterprise. You'd have to have the security permissions, the device that it runs on, getting it access to all of the documents. The traditional problems that we run into into an enterprise, why you know new technology projects that retire old pieces of technology never manage to retire those old pieces of technology, that problem, we're going to have that same exact problem with AI. Emma. Really good. So basically what you're saying is don't go reinventing, reinventing the wheel. I mean, problems already have solutions and you just need to implement the solution. Of course, that's the challenges. That's right. I mean, there are... So there are going to be unique business use cases, right? So if you're a grocery store and you know your number one seller is Coca-Cola and you want to see how you can optimize Coca-Cola sales and you want to do that by seeing what other people buy when they buy Coca-Cola, that's a unique enough use case that you can go out and develop a model that assuming you have the data, which you probably do, you can feed that data to the model and it'll come back and say, hey, you should probably stack the pretzels right next to the Coca-Cola, because if people buy pretzels, they buy more Coca-Cola. That is a completely doable model. It'll give you a percentage likelihood that someone will buy Coca-Cola if they buy pretzels. And by moving them together, you can actually optimize some of that 
I mean, look, grocery stores have been doing this for years, right? Yeah. They move things up to eye level that they want to sell more of, and they move lower cost things below eye level that they, they don't care so much about selling. So this is a known thing that grocery stores do, and machine learning models can help them optimize how they do that to get the best outcomes. And that's a unique problem, right? I mean, retail clothing stores aren't don't need to address that. They don't have the low margins on what it is they're selling, and they don't have the large quantity of products in such a way that that kind of use case makes sense. They have other use cases. They may want to optimize the product that they're ordering. And so a machine learning model can predict who's going to buy what, when, and so they can optimize what they order from their backend wholesaler or manufacturer to deliver. But again, that's a fairly well-solved use case that a model can be implemented to do it. And there are some out-of-the-box, off-the-shelf SaaS products that do those types of functions. Very cool. It's a lot of value to be had, uh, Sean, by the sounds of it. Just going to more into future, I mean, we spoke obviously about the automation, but how do you see this evolving into the future? I think we're going to continue to see production adoption of AI and ML and automation. And look, robotic process automation, if you're in the industry, RPA is the the direction that we're going. By the way, I've seen massive benefits. Most businesses have really bad processes. The reality is their processes are horrible. In fact, you go talk to their people and they're like, yeah, I have to fill out these five forms and then these five forms with the exact same information. And then I have to call this person and I have to email this and then I have to put them on this USB stick and take them. The processes are terrible. Robotic process automation has started to help fix some of that because they have to fix their processes. They can't automate the processes in the current form. So there's huge benefit to RPA. Accelerated or hyper RPA using AI and ML. So providing as part of that robotic process automation, predictive analysis, auto steps that a machine learning model informing an AI automation function to do is going to continue to grow and be huge. For me, the most interesting thing is where quantum computing and AI come together. I really believe that within the next 10 years, if IBM delivers the way they say they're going to, if Honeywell's quantum computing solution looks like it's going where it's going, we will have AI functions, we'll have AI assistance backed by quantum computing, and you won't be able to tell you're not talking to a human. Wow. Incredible. Should we, should we be concerned about Terminator? <laughs> um, over the world? I don't believe so. Not now. I mean, talk to me again in 50 years. The systems really aren't complex enough and they don't have enough controls in it. I think what we need to be more worried about is bad actors. So let's, I'm going to deep dive on the IT side, right? Okay. So currently today, security operations, the people that manage and monitor security, cannot scale. They cannot keep up with all the the bad actors out there that are hacking into things. And I mean, this whole solar winds thing out of the United States was, yes. uh, yeah, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to comment on how big that, I mean, that's going to be from a security perspective, as we look back, that's probably going to be the big thing out of last year, which is surprising after last year. But so we can't scale. And let me assure you, those bad actors are using AI and ML to scale their side to do worse. That's what we need to be worried about. If I am as worried as you are, as worried as other people are about, you know, AI, ML doing things that are bad, but to decide to not scale doing good stuff, 
with AI ML doesn't stop those bad actors from, from doing what they're doing. And let me assure you, I don't know if you've gotten any African prince emails lately where they want you to invest in some company over in Africa, but the scam emails from several years ago. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yes. Yeah. But the scam emails are getting way. I mean, I used to, I would open them up and go, yeah, the Google Translate that they used, the English in this, this email mm-hmm. isn't correct. I know that it's a scam. I mean, that was an easy way to pick it up. It will be tough. It's going to be tough this year for you to be able to identify scam emails from non-scam emails because the language in them, they're now backed by machine learning models and they're very good and they are now optimizing those emails for you. So they're looking at your social media profile. They're looking at your interactions online and they're sending you an email crafted for you, not an email that went out to 10 million people with the same email, an email crafted just for you to get you to do something. And that's, yeah, if, if we don't develop the AI ML on the good guy side, good guy in quotes, we can't scale to do that. We can't scale to handle that. So we need to do it. I think it's less, less worried about Skynet and Terminator and more worried about at least, you know, for the next 10 or 20 years, yeah. we need to worry about bad actors. And by the way, that includes businesses, right? If we have businesses that are so profit motivated that they would rather keep you in an echo chamber, then you need AI assistance that can help you here outside that echo chamber. Wow. Incredible. This is really interesting, Sean. Really great to chat with you. I enjoyed the conversation. Um, how would people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Oh, I'm, yeah, I said that I'm negative on social media, but I am actually on social media. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sean G. Muller, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. On LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, I'm constantly going onto and then off of platforms. I also have a Ken, thank you. As I, as you noted in the beginning, I do have a podcast, Kiwi Innovators. Unfortunately, I have been underwater for about the last six months with work. And so, although I have five podcasts recorded, I haven't published anything in the last six months. So, yeah, they, I mean, if you really want to reach out, I have a website, technologyleaders.co.nz. And you can reach out to me there. You can email me directly there. Yep, that's how you can get me. Fantastic, Sean. Listen, thank you so much for your time. I know it's early in the morning over there. I really appreciate you taking the time off us. So have a great day and I hope to speak again soon. Oh, absolutely. And thank you again for inviting me on, Ken. It was a really delightful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.